welcome to the sermon podcast of Orchardville Baptist Church in beautiful Moultrie, Georgia. We're so glad that you've chosen to listen in with us today. It is our hope that you will be encouraged by the Word of God and find growth in your everyday life. For more information about our church or for more digital resources, be sure to check us out on the web at OrchardvilleBaptist.com. And now for today's sermon. song and the worship today. Thank you, ladies, our guys upstairs, and um, thank y'all for what you do. And I, I want to ask you now, church, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Today I want to finish part two of a message that I started last week. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the church at Corinth, if you'll keep in mind the uh, overall context here is a church in a very difficult area. Uh, there were pagan temples all over the place. A lot of times people would buy meat from a temple and eat it at home. A church had a question about it. So Paul is answering that question, something that you and I don't face. We don't face going to a temple to buy, to buy meat, although some people may think Walmart is a temple. It's not. You know? <laughs> anyway, um, the we don't have that specific problem that they had, but Paul uses it to address an issue that we all struggle with, and that is religious freedom, a Christian freedom, the freedom we have in Christ. Just because we are free in Christ Jesus, saved and secure, and just because we can do something doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we should do something. We need to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ or the actions that we do. Would it harm them? Would it cause them to sin? But also we need to think about ourselves. Uh, there's a lot of people who take the attitude and approach, well, if I'm saved and secure and can't lose my salvation, well, I can just go do whatever I want to do. And no, you can't do that. Although you are secure in Christ, if you are saved, why would you want to do you know, all those things? There is a philosophy that a lot of people have that call themselves believers. They want to see just how much hell they could have in their life and still go to heaven. And that is not how Christians should be thinking. That should not be the mindset of the believer. The mindset of the believer should be, how holy can I get on my way to heaven? How, how sanctified, how useful to the Lord can I be? How, how can I repay him? How can I serve the one who died for me? The one who, who took the wrath of God for me? How can, I, how can I live for him more? And if that's not the mentality, something has gone drastically wrong in our Christian life. And Paul is warning the church at Corinth not to, to use their religious or, or Christian freedom or freedom in Christ to the point that they fall into sins, that they get overconfident. So let's look at this text again. And, and again, I want to begin back in verse 1 just to remind us of the context of what he's saying here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you... I'm sorry, would you please stand... In honor and reverence of God's word. I got a little excited there. I apologize. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized unto Mo into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. 
But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, let him who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. Help us, Lord, today to honor your word by accurately, Lord, reading it, studying it, preaching it, and obeying it. Oh, God, I thank you for what we've already experienced today through the special music and congregational music, Lord. And, and all those things may not have taken place just like we maybe had planned, God. We still get to worship you today, Lord. And nothing can keep us from worshiping you but ourselves. And may we have a desire to worship you and praise you for all that you have done. And I ask now, God, that you would take this, this service, everything that has been said and prayed and done, the preaching of your word, Lord, the reading of your word, use it, Lord, for your glory and honor. And I pray that if there's anyone here who is lost, oh, God, please save them today. Show them they need you more than anything else in this world. And, Lord, may you not let them leave this place until they get things right with you. God, I pray for every believer that we come under conviction today, Lord. If we have been lackadaisical in our Christian walk, in our Christian disciplines, Lord. And if, Lord, we are flirting with sin in any way, Lord, I pray that, God, today you would reveal it to us, you would convict us of it, Lord, and we would repent of it, Lord, even today. God, move in a mighty way, I pray. May you save souls and challenge us, your people, and may everything that is said and done here today honor and glorify you and be in your name and in your authority. In Jesus' name I do pray, amen. And you may be seated. Now, something I think most of us are familiar with is what happened in, in April back in 1912. The British passenger ship, the Titanic, sank. Something that nobody thought was possible happened. That ship, on its way on its maiden voyage, hit an iceberg and sank. And hundreds and, and over a thousand people died in that sinking of that ship. And they didn't even, the idea of it sinking never really entered the minds of those who designed it. Uh, they didn't even have enough uh, uh, boats, to lifeboats, to, to help those that would be on the boat if it did go down. And because of their overconfidence, not only did that boat sink, but several people died as a result of it. And the same thing is happening in the church at Corinth, or what's happening in the church at Corinth, and the same thing is happening today spiritually. Because of overconfidence, many believers feel like they don't need to spend that time in God's Word on a regular basis, that time in prayer, that time in obedience. And as a result, they think they would never fall for sins they see other people falling for. They'll never be a statistic like others may. And as a result, they are setting themselves up with this overconfidence that one day they may even fall. Paul is warning 
the Corinthians not to fall into sin. And there's some things they are going to have to do in order not to do the things that he listed there in verses 6 through 10. To keep from lusting after those evil things. To keep from idolatry and sexual immorality and tempting God and complaining and all those things. If they're going to avoid those things, Paul, I believe, gives three rules they need to follow. Three simple rules to keep us from doing those things. Notice with me here in verse 11. The first thing I want you to see is that we need to learn. We need to learn from God's Word. We need to learn from God's Word. The Bible says here in verse 1, Now all these things happen to them as examples. The things that he's talking about are the events that happened to the nation of Israel that he just listed. Paul describes the nation of Israel leaving Egypt. Okay, Now as they left Egypt, that is the Old Testament picture of redemption. The deliverance, the salvation of God's people out of slavery. And he is going to take them into the promised land. They travel, if you remember, through the wilderness journeys that's recorded for us in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. As they travel there, they are going to the promised land. On that course there, they would continually fall into sin. And as a result, it cost them. It didn't cost them going back into slavery. Because if you remember the story, there were times when some of them wanted to go back into Egypt. God would not let them. He had redeemed them out of slavery. They were not going back into slavery. They were going where he wanted them to go. But on that journey, he was wanting to take them to the promised land, a place of of flowing with milk and honey. Remember, the promised land is not a picture of heaven. It is a picture of the victorious Christian life. It is victories. There were battles to be fought there. There's no fighting in heaven. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? You can lay down your weapons and just rest there and worship there. But, but in the promised land, it's Christian life. There are going to be battles, but there are victories. There are blessings that God wants to give. And they missed out. Paul says these things are, are written there. They're in the Word of God for a reason. So that we might learn from them. They are examples. He didn't want the Corinthians to fall into those same Uh, problems that the Israelites did nor does he want us doing that same thing so the word of God he has it written in here that we might learn from their examples for us notice they were written for our admonition they were written for our admonition that word admonition is a word that means instruction or training it refers to a cautionary tale one that is given to hopefully discourage someone from doing a bad thing or a mistake It's like the illustration of the boy who cried wolf. That story is told of a boy uh, who tells the village the wolf is coming and and the villagers get ready to go help him and and run to his aid. And what happens? There is no wolf. The villagers go back and later on the boy does it again. He says, he cries wolf. The wolf's coming and the villagers go to help him only to find out there is no wolf. But we all know what happened a third time. There really was a wolf. And what happened? The villagers did not come to help. And as a result, he, he died. And, and the flock was, was eaten up. Uh, the story behind that is not to lie. Matter of fact, that story began being told in U.S. schools years ago to help with the lying that elementary students were doing. So much lying going on. You think there's still a lot of lying going on in America? <laughs> but anyway, it's another sermon. But in order to do, they would, they would tell that tale. Why? So that you would learn not to tell a lie, but to tell the truth. Because, listen, there's going to be a time when you really do need help. And you don't want to be a liar to where people won't listen to you. 
That's what it is. It's a cautionary tale. And, and the Bible says that these are, these are listed here as examples or cautionary tales that we might learn from them not to make those same mistakes. He says in the last part of this verse, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Again, this is sort of a, a difficult little phrase to uh, uh, completely understand, but it appears that what, what Paul is saying here is that the, the ages, the ages have come to fruition and they've come to completion now with Jesus Christ coming. Now we have all this evidence to look back on and to learn from all of their mistakes. We have all the information we need to make the right choices is what he's saying. But what we have to do, folks, if we're going to learn from these examples, we have to read and study them. We need to study and see what happened to these Israelites, what caused them to lose the, the joys of the promised land, what caused them to, 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 to die out in the wilderness. They had forfeited those things. Their children got to experience, but those adults who left Egypt, who had been slaves all those years, missed out on the joy of having their own place. Having these vineyards, they didn't plant the cities that they did not build. They missed out on all those things. And Paul is warning the Corinthians that if they are not careful, if they are not careful, they're going to flirt with sin. And in flirting with that sin, what they're going to do is they're going to get caught up and they are going to miss out as well. Folks, I, I can't stress enough that we need to do like Paul says, study the word of God so that we might know what's at stake. See, I'm not going to ask folks this morning to raise your hand if you read your Bible every day to get in God's Word. I'm not going to try and embarrass anybody. I don't like to be embarrassed, but I'm not going to embarrass you, not on purpose. But I'm here to tell you, if you're not studying this Bible on a regular basis, if you're not getting in and seeing what God has for you, you're going to walk right into a disaster, and you're going to throw your hands up. I never saw that coming. You know why? Because you weren't studying the Word of God. I'm here to tell you, God's word, the Holy Spirit will direct you. He'll show you the way of all truth. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. But if we're going to ignore him and ignore the word, don't be surprised when it happens. Does that make sense? I mean, it's written here so we would learn from it. But if we're not studying it and not reading it, you're not going to be learning from it. It's going to happen. Make no mistake. Because as we see, temptation comes to everybody. Everybody. The Bible goes on and says, oh, should we learn from God's word? But don't you see in verse 12, we should lean on Jesus Christ. Lean on Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says this. Therefore, because of what he's just said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That word thinks, it really could be simply translated opinion. He has the opinion. It doesn't mean that he's right or wrong. That's just how he thinks. Okay, his opinion of himself. The word stand there, it means to be secure, to be able to stand up right, to be secure. Here it's in a spiritual sense. When you put these two words together, it refers to a person who has a very high opinion of themselves. They, they, they feel like they were in a position, well, they will never fall spiritually. They see other people falling for sin, but they never would. Well, I do all the things I need to do, and I'm, I've been a Christian for so long, and I would never do what, what so-and-so did. Can I just admit something to you? I used to say I would never do things. And every once in a great while, it'll slip out, but I try to remind myself to back up, brother. <laughs> you don't know what you'll do till you're in that position. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care how strong you may think you are spiritually. Let me tell you something. There's always something that'll get you. 
There's always something that will get you here. The Apostle Paul says, if you're in that position, he says, you better take heed. That word means to be very careful, to be aware. In the Greek language that Paul wrote in, the Greek tense there implies a continuous watching, a continuous awareness of what's going on around you and where you are spiritually. Again, it's a reminder that we should never get over the grace of God. You should get up every day thanking God for His grace. The moment you get to the point where you think that you are saved because you are a great person or what you have done, you have, you have literally fallen from grace. You, you begin to think of yourselves more highly than, than God ever did. And who you really are, we are nothing but sinners saved by the grace of God. Without Him, we are doomed. And if you ever get to the point where you think God owes you something, again, you have fallen from grace. You are in a position that are setting yourself up for disaster. Spiritual ruin is what you're doing. Paul says, be, be very aware if you think you're in that spot, lest you fall. That word fall, it means to suffer defeat or ruin. Remember, if you remember in the last part of chapter 9, Paul, when he talked about some of the things that he did, he did to keep himself from being disqualified. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. Paul, preaching all these powerful things, said, I've got to watch myself because I don't want to turn around and after preaching these things to other people, commit those same very sins and disqualify myself from the service of the Lord. Remember, church, the immediate context here, the immediate context has to do with eating this food sacrificed to idols. He will expand this as we continue through chapter 10 that there are Christians still going to those temples. They were still going to some of those feasts. That's because every social gathering centered around a temple worship. If you were, if you were wanting to get a building contract, you'd probably have to go down to, the, to a certain temple and meet with the person and there over a feast talk about how you're going to do that. If you were going for a job interview, you would probably go down to the temple and you would talk to them. If it was a, a, any kind of family function, a wedding or something like that, it was probably done at a temple and they would do other things and you would have to be there. I mean, I can't offend my family, can I? taking a stand for Christ I, 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 my job might be on the line here other things my, all my friends go there he's saying be very careful thinking that you know what I can go down to that temple and I can be around all that stuff and I won't fall for it Paul's saying take heed again it is very easy one person said it is also easy to become enamored with our freedom in Christ that we forget we are his bought with a price, and called to obedience to his word, to his service. Understand this. When you got saved, you came under the lordship of Jesus Christ. As Paul has already made abundantly clear, when you got saved, you were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He owns you. You and I do not have the freedom to say what we want to say, to do what we want to do. We are to honor Christ. We are to follow his word, to do it his way. Again, we have wonderful freedoms here in our country, and because of that, we get to follow what the Word of God says. Amen? And again, be very careful that we don't lose those freedoms. Because I'm telling you, it's going to be a whole lot harder to live for Jesus without these freedoms. But understand this. Just because the Constitution says you can say what you want to say don't mean you can. As a child of the living God, what comes out of your mouth ought to bring grace to the hearer. 
Carol, that the things that we do, we don't strike back at people because they do it to us. God's called us to treat people the way he's treated us. As we saw Wednesday night, we are to love mercy. We, we ought to be loyal to showing mercy and grace like God does. We are to be markedly different, not by necessarily how we dress, although it ought to be different, but, but the way we conduct ourselves, the way we go about this, this life here. And, and folks, we need to be real careful that just because we have freedom in Christ that we don't use it to satisfy our flesh. The Corinthians were doing that, and there was a great danger there. In the book of Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. If we begin to think too much of ourselves, we are setting ourselves up for a fall. The Bible's full of examples of that, isn't it? When you think about it, and in particular, I thought about the four of them this week. I'm saying very briefly, King Sennacherib of, of, of the, the Assyrian Empire, he is destroying everybody, taking kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. He surrounds Jerusalem. He says, y'all are next. Your God can't deliver you. The people get right with God, and they begin to pray under Hezekiah and Isaiah. And what happens? God sends the destroyer through that Assyrian camp and kills 185,000 of them in one night. Those that are left, they flee back home. And that king is later assassinated by his sons at a temple. He thought nothing could stop him and his army, and God showed him in one day who could. Matter of fact, you see, read about Nebuchadnezzar, the next person who would come onto the world throne. He thought he ruled everything, and he had accomplished so much. And one day when he's thinking about how great he is, what does God do? Turns him into an animal. He calls him to lose his mind to think he's an animal, and he lives like an animal for years. God humbled that man when he was proud. You think about Haman in the book of Esther. He, he hated Mordecai so much, he makes these 75-foot-tall gallows. We can hang this man on. He thinks he's going to hang him, and what happens? The tables get turned, and he is the one who is hung on there. And I tell you what, my favorite example, my favorite example, and I'll be, I'm real loose with that word favorite. When I say favorite, because I, I learned so much from him, is Peter. When Jesus was in the upper room, he says, listen, there's coming a time here when all y'all going to leave. Peter says, listen, I'm not going to leave you. These other guys may leave you, but you, ain't, you can count on me, Jesus. I'm going to be there. And, and Jesus like, hey, I know, buddy. I know your heart, but I know what you're going to do, too. He didn't believe it. What happens when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane? They come to arrest Jesus, and when they do, who draws his sword to fight? It was Peter. But because he's a fisherman and not a swordsman, he cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus says, put your sword away, and eventually he leaves. As he runs away, Jesus is put on trial. What happens? Peter comes up as he's warming his hands by the fire, he denies Christ three different times. Finally, he does it by cursing himself. In essence, what he says, let me be accursed if I know that Jesus Christ. That's literally what he said to the last person. You know what's so ironic about that? If you don't know Jesus Christ, you are cursed. <laughs> you were doomed. He denied him three times after he said, there's no way I'll do that. Jesus said, yes, you will by the time the, the crow crops three times. So, the bottom line is there are stories over and over in the Bible of self-confidence leading to a downfall. And as a Christian, we cannot become so overly confident that we think we don't need to depend on God's word and his spirit and depend on him. Because when we do, we get careless with our walk with the Lord. Carelessness will always get you in trouble. I don't care what it is. Carelessness will get you in trouble. Jesus told his disciples that if they would abide in him, they will produce fruit. But without him, they can do nothing. Matter of fact, It'll set yourself up for failure. So we need to learn from God's word, lean on Jesus Christ. But then verse 13, we need to look for God's way out. 
We need to look for God's way out. Look with me here in verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. There's not going to be a temptation or a trial or a test that comes your way that's going to, uh, uh, that's going to overtake you. That word has many meanings. One of them is to experience. You're never going to experience a temptation or a trial that is not common to man. And what does that mean? What it means is there's not going to be a special temptation out there for you that other people haven't faced and always face. Okay? You know, uh, whenever I think about talking to my kids as they grow up and uh, warning them about peer pressure, okay? There's all kind of peer pressure that's out there for teenagers today. All kinds of things where your, your buddies, your friends will try to get you to do. And guess what? Your friends have always done that. Now, it may be something different today. I know when I was growing up, I wouldn't tend to do anything on social media. <laughs> you could ask me that. I, could, I don't know what that is. I know about a social hall, but I don't know about social media. Today, there's all kind of things. I, I remember my, my last time taking a youth group where I was in charge of them, Brother Aaron. I went up to the, uh, the MOVE conference. It was the evangelism conference. And kids just started texting. And I was like, what in the world is this? I don't think y'all have a clue to how devastating texting can be in a youth group. Praise God, I'd have to face that. <laughs> Brother Aaron did. You pray for him. But there were other things, and there's always something. The temptation to steal, to lie. It may be in coming different forms from different people, but there's always going to be there. The temptation to back away from serving Christ will always be there. Jesus said it'll do nothing but get worse. So he's saying here, you need to understand something, okay? There's going to be temptation out there, but there ain't nothing going to happen to you now that other people had not gone through themselves. So don't get this whole idea, well, well, God, I understand, but my situation's different. No, your situation's not any different than anybody else's. It's really not. It says here, such is common to man, something that, that everyone has gone through. But notice this. Here's a good word for you today. God is faithful. <laughs> I love that. God is faithful. He is dependable. And it says here, as he describes God as, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now, there are a lot of people who take that line right there completely out of context. And they'll make the comment, and again, when I say take it out of context, they, uh, they use words that I think they don't understand what they're actually saying. Some people think that means that God will not put anything on you more than you can handle Okay? Then go through a trial or a difficulty. Oh, 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 God won't put anything on you more than you can handle. I'm here to tell you, God will exactly put more on you than you can handle. He will put something on you that will drive you to him. You can't handle your sin problem. And if you're not saved, you are dealing with it, and you're going to do miserably at it. I've seen people in this room go through tragedy that I don't understand how you got up the next day. I don't know. Other than the fact that a living God lives inside of you and gave you strength to do it. That, that's the only thing I can come up with. I, I, th there are things that people simply cannot do on their own that God allowed to happen. May have even sent it. I, I don't know. I know that in some cases, like he says in 1 Peter, that listen, sometimes it is God's will for the believer to suffer in order for God to receive glory. I don't understand it all, okay? But what he's saying here in the context is the temptation to sin. 
The temptation to sin. You're never going to be in a temptation to sin where you can't say no to it. That's what he's saying. You're going to have to make the choice to say no or not. It says here, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You are never as a believer be in a situation where you have no choice but to sin. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He says God is faithful. He's dependable. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will also make a way of escape. Now, when it talks about here making this way, God will arrange how you are to escape it. He will arrange it. The word escape here, now listen, church, this is the second most important thing I'm going to tell you all day, this word escape. If you don't get nothing else, I hope you get what I'm going to say at the end of the invitation, but you better get this when you leave. It'll radically change if you'll get a hold of it. The word escape is a compound word in the Greek language that Paul wrote in. It's made up of two words, word out and the word walk. It literally means to walk out. God will arrange a way for you to walk out of that temptation. It's a picture in the Greek language of an army being surrounded, and then all of a sudden they find a pass in the corner in the valley that the army can slip through and get out and walk out of the trap. It's a, it's a picture here of getting up and leaving. You and I will never be so surrounded by a temptation that we will not be able to reject it and walk out of it. That's what he is saying. There is a belief by some that they can just stay there in the temptation and do nothing but pray. That is not what the scriptures teach. The, pre- the, the scriptures teach you better get away from it. The, pre- the scriptures teach to flee from it. That's what the scriptures teach. The, pre- the scriptures do not teach. Just stay right there in it and just pray that God's just going to remove that. He says the way you remove it is getting up and leaving it. You've heard the old saying. You've seen it. You may have even done this. Have been told this. Get real heated with somebody. What do you do? Tell them take a walk. Get away before you say something or do something you shouldn't do. Uh, if a person is, is tempted on being lazy, they need to get up and, and do something. If they're tempted with sexual immorality, they need to get out of the situation. They might need to change the, the, what they're watching on the computer or TV or, or listening to. Get out of a situation, but get away from it. God provides a way of escape. Sometimes it can be tough. You know, Joseph in the Old Testament, we mentioned him a few months back. And we were talking about how Paul already told him to flee from sexual immorality. Joseph, remember, he was a slave in a house. And he was tempted by the, his owner's wife, Potiphar's wife, just to sleep with her. And he said, no, I can't do that. I can't sin against my God and I can't sin against my master. And what does he do? He leaves. He runs. Now, eventually he gets put into prison. We think, well, man, that really paid off for him, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It sure did because two years later he's second in command of the whole country. Two years later, he's running the whole place. Yeah, it didn't work out for him. So just because we have to run from something, immediately it may sound bad, but eventually there'll be a payoff. Eventually there'll be a payoff. Maybe it's a, it's a wonderful marriage. Maybe it's a wonderful relationship with your, with your family. It might even be a, a better job situation or God being using you at church or, or for his kingdom. But he says he will provide a way. God limits the temptation. And provides a way out. 
Don't sit here and say, well, you didn't have a choice. Don't sit there and say that. There's always a time to say no. <laughs> There's always a time to say no. As believers, God is faithful. Do you believe God's faithful? Do you believe his word is true? So if we fall into that sin, whose fault is it? It's ours. It's not God's. It says here that you will be able to bear it, to be able to endure it, to be able to get through it. The Bible says here that, that God will provide that way. Now, some people wonder, is Paul giving a warning here or an encouragement here? I believe he's doing both. I believe it's both a warning and encouragement to us. First off, there's no excuse for our sin. And secondly, you can overcome it. Isn't that awesome? You're not just some dumb, dumb animal. <laughs> you have God living inside you. Romans 8, 11, have y'all heard about that verse? It says the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you. You mean to tell me Satan's going to throw something in front of you that's stronger than trying to keep Jesus in the tomb? No, I don't think so. The question is whether you will get up and walk out of it or not. Will you do what you're supposed to do? See, the Corinthians, they're getting over there real close to that fire. And guess what's going to happen? They're about to get burned. What they need to do is step away from the fire. And they won't get burned. And there's Christians right now that are playing with fire. They're playing with it. They're letting alcohol in their life. They're letting drugs in their life. They're letting immorality live in their life. They're, they're, they're lying and cheating at work. They're doing it to other people. And they think they can just, there's just a little bit. I can handle this. And it's going to bite them. It's going to burn them. And it's going to ruin them if they don't stop it. And Paul is saying what you need to do is you better get in the Word of God and you need to see what the Word of God said about it. You need to start relying on Jesus Christ and not your ability. And you need to look for God's way out and you had better take it. If not, you are going to be ruined. Now, folks, either we can take what the Word of God says and we can put it in our life or we can just ignore it. We can go out here, leave this place and worry about what we're going to eat for lunch and just start worrying about everything else under the sun. But I'm here to tell you, want somebody here headed for disaster and just ignore what God says about it. A lot of times we want to throw blame around when what we need to do is looking in the mirror. When we think about closing this message up this morning, don't think for a second that you can't fall into sin. Don't become so overconfident that it actually leads to your undoing. Everyone will deal with temptation from time to time. It comes in different forms, but everyone will. Here, he is warning us how we can face it. There is good news. God loves you. Even when Satan came after Peter, remember what Jesus said? He's wanted to shift you, but I, I got you, Peter. I got you. He wanted to do a lot worse, but I wouldn't let him. Isn't that awesome? I get so tickled when I read that and think about God saying that to Peter. Church, do what Paul says. Learn, lean, and look. You know, a lot of times, some of our greatest temptations come at our spiritual highs. I think about Jesus Christ when he came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, came to die for our sins. And when he came, one of the first things he did, the first thing he did in his public ministry was to identify with us. He went down to where John the Baptist was baptizing 
And there he was baptized. And when that happened, the sky opened up, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. John hears the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. What an incredible event. John the Baptist is pointing to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And what is the next thing Jesus does? He walks into the wilderness. Now, folks, I don't have time this morning to get into all that, but there is an illusion in tying back into the wilderness journey of the Israelites and Moses. Just as they crossed the Red Sea and went into the wilderness, Jesus entered into those waters and was baptized, and then he went into the wilderness. And as he goes into the wilderness... What happens after 40 days of fasting? Satan comes after him. But he is not like the Israelites and Moses who gave in to sin in the wilderness. He stayed true. Jesus Christ was tempted and so will you be. And what did he do? When tempted to to turn a rock into, into bread, what did he do? He answers Satan with what? The word of God. Jesus, fully God and fully man, and I don't understand everything, but one thing I do know, any devout Jew around the age of 30, when he was growing up, if he grew up in a religious home, by the time he was 12 years old, he could probably quote to you the book of Deuteronomy by memory. As he quotes the scripture to Satan, he rebuts that temptation. He is is tempted to, to, as he's taken and placed on the top of the Temple Mount, to jump and And Satan twists the word of God to say that, listen, angels will protect you if you fall. What does he do again? He responds with the word of God. He says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He leans on the Lord and he does not jump. He does not tempt him. And then lastly, what does Satan do? He takes him and he offers him the kingdoms of this world if he'll just simply bow down to him. Once again, Jesus refutes him, rebukes him with the word of God. But he had a choice, didn't he? He could have taken the easy path or he could have taken God's path out of it. He took God's path. And I'm so glad that he did because that path led him straight to the cross. And on that cross, he died for my sins and he died for your sins. And while he was on that cross, he could have come off that cross, but he didn't come off that cross because God said, here's the payment. Here's what you've got to do. And Jesus went on that cross, died for my place and yours. He took all of our sins, were laid on him, and he paid the sin debt for us. They put him in a grave, and three days later, he came out alive. Oh, my goodness. What a Savior. That's the most important thing I can tell you today is that there is a Savior who loves you. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, today you need to make a decision to be saved, to follow him. That choice is yours. I don't believe God's up in heaven picking and choosing who he's going to save. I believe he gives the gospel to the whole world. You've got to make a decision to accept it or not. Today, will you make the decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? To admit to God that you are a sinner? The Bible says we've all sinned. And you know that you have. Are you willing to repent of that sin, to turn away from it? Yes, it will require you doing so, turning away from your sin. And believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That what he did on the cross was enough to save you and to keep you saved. And to believe that he rose again three days later. If that's the case today, you must see, confess him as your Savior and your Lord. To pray and ask Christ to come into your life to save you, and he will. But understand this, don't miss this, because see, the Corinthians had missed it. He is not just Savior, he is Lord. That means you will belong to him. Are you willing to give your life to him? That's what it means to be saved. In just a minute, I'll be right down front. 
Hey, do you want to make that decision? You need to make it publicly. You need to walk down this aisle, take me by the hand. Just walking the aisle doesn't do it. But Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Today, you can stand up for Jesus right now. You can begin today if you want to. God would love to save you today. That's why he sent his son. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. But child of God, understand this. Just like you got to make a decision to be saved, you got to make a decision to turn away from that sin. Choice is yours. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you and we thank you for all that you do for us. All over this sanctuary, God, I pray there not be one single one of us, Lord, that has our mind on anything but you right now. May our focus and our attention be upon listening to you and your spirit speaking to us. God, if there are people here who are lost, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them right now. Show them they need to be saved before it's too late. Give them the courage, Lord, today to accept you as their Lord and Savior, to make that decision public, I pray. And God, we will give you all the glory. God, I pray today for every believer, beginning with myself, that God, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. Convict us and point us in the way of all truth. Lord, see us and, and examine us, Lord, and show us, as David said, if there's any unclean thing in our life, anything that is, that is sin, anything that we're getting close to that can lead to disaster, oh God, show us that we might flee from it and turn away from it before it's too late. Oh God, we praise you today that you are faithful. We thank you that you are loving and merciful. And may you show that grace and mercy and love this morning, I pray, to us, your people and for those who need to be saved. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning, if you need to make a decision for Jesus, I'll be right down front. If you're here today and you just want someone to pray with you, I'd love to meet with you and pray with you. God's calling you to join our church. You'll come down, I'll tell you what to do next. But the altar's open if you want to come. Or right there where you're at, meet with God. Please don't ignore the Spirit of God pricking your heart. Don't ignore his call to salvation. Don't ignore his call to repent. Don't ignore his call to be careful and to watch out and, and to avoid and to flee from something. The reason why he does it is because he loves us. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it.